Hey, welcome to Generations Church. My name is Kyle, and I'm the lead pastor here at Generations Church. And it's been a full morning already. It's been a great morning already. Jesus is alive and well. And so just a few things as we get ready to dive into our teaching time this morning and look at the hope we have because of Jesus' resurrection. Understandably, there's a lot of people online posting pictures and watching services all across the country this morning. So if our feed crashes, go ahead, swipe down, give it a refresh, and we would love to connect and hear from you and what you are doing and how you're watching and how you're celebrating Easter today. Our teaching text this morning is found in Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. It's the morning of Jesus' resurrection. And so I'm going to read this passage for us together, and then I'm going to pray, and we will look at the implications that it has for your life, and for my life, and for us collectively together. Luke chapter 24, verse 1 says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went... They went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Their question, Why are you looking for the living among the dead? asked the men. He is not here. He has been resurrected. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. And they remembered his words. Returning to the tomb, they returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and all the rest. Mary, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with him were telling the apostles these things. But these words seemed like nonsense to them, and they did not believe the women. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. When he stopped to look in, he saw only the linen clothes. So he went home amazed at what had happened. Would you pray with me? God, you are good when there is nothing good in us. And this morning, we look to you for hope. We look to you for good news. We need some good news in our life, God. And I thank you that you've been good news to us. God, speak to us this morning while we're separated into homes across Vancouver and across the U.S. We know that you can speak to us no matter where we are because you love us and you are pursuing us. This morning as we celebrate who you are and what you have done in conquering death. Give us the power. Help us experience that. Help us point to you and celebrate that well. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Can a fractured world be fixed? If so, how? And if not, why? Right now, We feel the effects of a fractured world. 
a world that is very different from a world 90 days ago. As we looked at 2020 with anticipation and maybe even some glee and some excitement. For many of you, there has been a level of despair and grief. You can't quite put your finger on. You aren't sure whether to lament in light of the brokenness or rejoice in the opportunity for leisure. What was once thought to be an opportunity for relaxation may now very well be the cause for your anxiousness. All while wondering if you're doing enough or if you're not doing enough or are you doing too much. Swinging on the spectrum from this is absolutely ridiculous. The fact that we're at stay at home to we better take this really, really seriously and everybody stay home. The emotions you have felt, the types of thoughts that have crept into your mind. Are all similar thoughts and emotions the disciples and women who followed Jesus felt in the days leading up to the cross and the days waiting for the resurrection. There was emotion that was unsurmountable. There was grief. There was them swinging on the spectrum likely from this is absolutely crazy to what in the world did we get ourselves into leading up to that Sunday morning 2,000 years ago. We get the benefit of being on the other side of the story. Looking back and evaluating the story of Jesus of Nazareth being the Son of God and Savior of the world because He lived perfectly. He died the death that you and I deserved to satisfy the wrath of God and then victoriously came back to life. And power, and He will come back again as we just sung one day again to make all things new, to bring justice and to right wrongs and the brokenness in this world that we still feel. And as we come to the end of Luke, Luke 24 recounts one thing on which all Christianity stands or falls. And that's the resurrection. Without the resurrection, there is no Christianity. Plenty of religious leaders have died and stayed dead. There is only one religion in the world. There is one story that speaks to the historical reality of a resurrection and satisfies the longing of our soul that we find in myths and stories. Bring those together and you get a single religion that speaks to the resurrected Jesus and making all things new. And so Dr. Luke knows that this claim is crazy. And so he writes to a friend who might have not quite believed this story of a person who is dead, not staying dead. And so he writes concerning the teachings of the Christian faith. And Luke points out in the introduction to his gospel, which is just an account of Jesus' life, death, and then resurrection. He points out in the introduction that we can have certainty because Christianity is a historical faith. It's a verifiable faith. And it is a biblical faith. And then it is fulfilled through the scriptures. And those same truths apply to the resurrection. We have historical, biblical, and verifiable evidence to make certain that Jesus Christ is the resurrected Lord of all. And there's a part of us that craves verifiable evidence. But usually when it's convenient. 
There's part of us that simply wants to be entertained by the chaos of the story to escape the hardships of life rather than face them. So, so we clamor for escape or for evidence. And in both cases, we are attempting to settle our souls that are unsettled. It's scary to be alone with your thoughts in a house. Maybe in the quiet or maybe even in the craziness. And then the moment you get some time to reflect on your own thoughts. As they circulate, the the whispers creep in. And you begin to wonder, what is life really about? And who am I in light of this large crisis? And today, we get to celebrate a risen Lord. A risen Lord. So it's, it's Christ over crisis. And I think today what's challenging is, is belief has become less of an on and off switch and more of like a series of dials that we tweak and we evaluate and we scroll and we refine. And, and maybe it's not dials isn't necessarily a good metaphor. Maybe it's an app that speaks to you. And so you just find yourself downloading apps and trying productivity hacks and, and you're just trying to, to get a beat or, or some sort of consistency on life. And you wonder, does the story that began 2,000 years ago actually make a difference in how we live our everyday lives today? Escape or evidence. And so rather than answer all your questions here on this Sunday morning, what I want to do is I want to invite you to a virtual coffee. So if you would like to connect and look, about, into more details about the resurrection, about what it means to truly follow Jesus in the everyday things of life, we would love to connect with you. And in fact, next week, we're going to jump back into our series on Colossians called Substance and talk about how the way of Jesus is substantive in the middle of this crisis, in the middle of our everyday lives and how we can build a life on and around Jesus and how and what that means for our life. See, we live in a world of deep fakes. So even as I claim a level of certainty there about the resurrection and Jesus, there's a level of skepticism and cynicism that is in the back of your mind that says, can this really be trusted? Because certainly we don't trust necessarily maybe the mass media of our day. And it's even getting harder to trust the social media and the things that we see online because of things like deep fakes. And we say nothing can be trusted. Everything and everyone is in it for their own gain. Nothing is beautiful. And so we doubt anything good or beautiful because it seems as if it's too good to be true. The only thing trusted that we can trust is ourself. And even as we attempt to trust ourselves we find that even that is fallible. That even that is difficult. So how can a person fix a fracture they cannot see and don't completely understand? If we look at what Luke writes down about the resurrection, it's actually pretty surprising. And what we see is how the fractures of our lives and our relationships 
can be fixed. Not in some silver bullet solution, but with something that has some substance and something that speaks to the longing of our hearts. And that is, there is good news. Jesus came and showed us what it was like to be truly human. He showed us what it was like to be connected with God and to truly love others. And then at his, the height of his life, he laid down his life so that we may have it. And he proved it by coming back to life. And that story is true. And that is good news. And what we see is as these women make their way to the tomb, they fully expected Jesus to still be dead. They had forgotten his words that he had told them. He said, this is who I am. And this is what it means for your life. That eternal life doesn't start after death. It starts the moment you begin following me. That you put your trust and faith into me. And that you say yes in baptism to me. Eternal life doesn't start after death. The truest life begins now. But they had forgotten that. And so they went back to the tomb. Fully prepared to mend to Jesus' body. And the scene of Jesus coming back to life surprises the women. Peter, the reader, even as the women return and tell them what has happened, he has to go see it for himself. And he runs to the tomb, and the thing he sees is grave clothes, our linens. And the crazy thing is that if this was some hoax or, or some scam, then naturally, someone who would have stolen the body or pretended to make this resurrection story real would have likely taken the clothes and hung it over the disciples' clothes, whole, hung it over Jesus' followers. Hey, look, we have the clothes. We have the body of Jesus. He is still dead, but no such thing ever happened. And that's one of the reasons we can believe the truth of the resurrection. And the men that appear likely angels, they speak to the women. And they ask a question. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? I have to ask you today. Why are you looking for something that is living and active and powerful among things that are in effect dead? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Why are you looking for a hope that can be taken away? Why are you looking for a pleasure that won't last? Why are you looking for joy and something that will ultimately disappoint? Because we always do that. We always put our trust in finite things because we want something to escape the reality of life or we want something with evidence that we can touch and see and experience. And the resurrection of Jesus offers us both an escape that it draws our hearts and minds to something bigger and higher called hope. And he draws us to a level of evidence that truly changes the way we live our everyday lives. These women were likely in such a grief stricken fog that the constant teaching by Jesus about his resurrection had been forgotten. 
And in their forgetting, they went to the tomb. And so this is a huge cultural insight here. Because as we look at this story, we think, okay, a couple women went to the tomb. Peter didn't believe it. He runs to the tomb. But to tell this story, to have it written down, and to tell this over and over and over again, is in in effect to almost shame Peter. It's shocking for the cultural time. Because women's testimonies weren't even allowed in the court of law in the first century. They were not to be believed. And so, to tell a story about a crucified and risen Savior would have been preposterous. But it's that very story that begins to fix the fracture in our soul. Begins to satisfy the longing of our heart. For the Jews, the resurrection was a real hope, but not in the way the disciples had claimed to happen to Jesus. The Old Testament teaching that all the people of Israel together, they they thought everyone was just going to be resurrected at the end time. They did not expect a man who would fulfill all prophecy to be risen in the middle and the center of time. They weren't borrowing something from other myths or other stories. And and in case you didn't know this, there are other myths out there that talk about someone dying and coming back to life. The idea itself has been out there. But the crazy thing is in this cultural moment, in that first century, it didn't fit their worldview at all. And that's the point. Their existing faith in that moment, had been blown up. In fact, one of the greatest authors in history, J.R.R. Tolkien, was a Christian. And he talks to a man named C.S. Lewis, who was an atheist. And they became very good friends, sharing stories and and writings. And what we learn is that one of C.S. Lewis' primary objections to Christianity was that it would steal his joy. Because he loved this this story of this myth of of these great heroes and these rescues. And and how like there was this hope that we could really escape to through story. And Tolkien pointed out that actually myth and history are are not all that removed from each other. That Lewis's problem lay not in his rational failure to understand God but in his imaginative failure to grasp God's significance, that a worldview that included the story of Christ gave life more meaning, adventure, and romance, not less. Just as a speech is invention about objects and ideas, so myth is an invention about truth, he told C.S. Lewis. We have come from God, and inevitably the myths woven by us, though they contain air, will also reflect a splintered fragment of true light the eternal eternal truth that is with God. Our myths may be misguided, but they steer, however shakily, towards the true harbor. Tolkien continues to describe this to Lewis, and he says, in other words, instead of being wholly false or purely satanic distractions, the stories Lewis cherished were shadows, anticipations of the full truth. And C.S. Lewis wondered if Christianity was just another myth and whether the Gospels were merely fairy stories. Tolkien explained that in a way they were 
with their miraculous births, adventures and heroes and happy endings. Beautiful stories. But there was one critical difference between the Christian story about Jesus and the rest of the myths. They were not true and the Christian story was true. They actually happened. This story actually happened. Christianity was the best of both worlds. It's a fairy story incarnate about God becoming flesh. Legend and history meeting as one. Christianity was, as Tolkien said, that one and only place where transcendence, the joy myths created in us, and the reality of history collide. It's where transcendence and the myth and the reality of history collide. And so romanticism and rationalism together were merely paths on which Lewis eventually became to Christ. The expectations of C.S. Lewis were interrupted. And he was amazed at how a story about a crucified and risen and resurrected Savior could impact every area of his life. It's something he didn't expect, but it's something, as you heard in that account, in that exchange, that he longed for. And he was worried that the escape that he sought and the evidence he wanted would be taken away by believing in Jesus' resurrection. And ultimately, as Lewis went on his spiritual journey, he came to the point that I hope that you come to. That Jesus is, in fact, who he said he was. And he didn't simply die and stay dead, but he ultimately came back to life. And what that means is that he is the one thing that conquered, he is the person that conquered the one thing that stands in every human being's face. And that's death. And it drives fear. It drives us to escape. It drives us to control and to manipulate. It drives us to, to grasp for temporary pleasures. It grabs us to, to, to try to live in such a way that we make the most out of life now, ever fearing death. And so the hope of the resurrection allows us not to fear death, allows us to live in such a way that we experience a full life now because Jesus lives in us when we place our faith and our trust in him. See, at the end of the day, I'm a Christian because the tomb is empty. Not because this story is wishful thinking. I'm a Christian because Jesus is God. All religions in some way tell us that they, we have to work our way to God, that we have to impress God, whomever or whatever he might be. That maybe we have to help old ladies across the street. We have to avoid watching certain movies, pray so many times a day, and maybe God will be impressed by your commitment to him. That he will look at all those good works and deem you worthy to save. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus comes along and in his whole life and ministry. The message is nothing we will ever do will work. That actually we need help. And he has come to help us. We need life and in his life is the life we 
need. And the women remembered Jesus' words. They remembered. And they could not wait to go back and tell others. And so, what does this mean for your life? Why would I go on at length about talking about some evidence for the resurrection and talk about this hope and, and try, to, try to combat the level of escape that you feel in this moment and maybe even your cry for the search for evidence. Why would, why would I put that all together? And I said it a moment ago. It's because I have experienced something in following Jesus that my soul longed for. That if I've experienced a life in me through the power of Jesus, that I want you to have an experience. And I don't stand here pretending to be perfect, to pretending to erase all the mystery and to provide that silver bullet solution to all the problems and conflict in your life. But the couple things I do know is that our world is fractured, and that I'm powerless to fix it on my own. There is one who fixed the fracture in our world by conquering death. And his name is Jesus. And when you put your faith and your trust in him, you begin to go on a journey and you begin to experience change in your life. You become challenged. You become comforted. And in effect, you get a family of people who want to see you loved and cared for like no other. And I want you to experience that. There are a lot of things in this life that we can put our trust and our faith in that ultimately, like I said earlier, can be taken away, that won't satisfy because they're finite. A resurrected Jesus is the one thing that cannot be taken away. And the power from the resurrection means that you can live a life of faith, not of fear. That in the midst of crisis, you can choose Christ and you begin, begin to live in love. And maybe you were able to see, see and experience some of the reason that I believe that. As I have led Generations Church, we are seeing a people cultivated together who believe that with their whole heart. And that's why in the middle of this crisis, there were people who were willing to go above and beyond and clean and sanitize and simply take baskets of candy to families to say, we hope you experience some joy in your homes this Easter. And it's because we love you. It's because we want you to know in the midst of this crisis, in the midst of this cultural moment, in the midst of this climate, you are not forgotten and you are not alone. 